Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Melody Moko is a golden guitar winning singer-songwriter and songs from her last album Two Kids and a Radio won QMA Awards and were nominated for the Australian Music Prize. She now has a wonderful new album, Suburban Dream, and I'm really excited to talk to her about it. Hi, Melody. Hello. It's great to talk to you about this album because there's it's very thoughtful. It's lyrically rich without being dense, which is quite something to pull off, but I want to talk about lots of things in the album. I'm just going to start, though, by asking you if the writing of Suburban Dream came about just after you released Two Kids in a Radio or was there some lag time or were things bubbling around for a while? Um, there was definitely some lag time. So because Two Kids in a Radio, I wrote that record over a period of about two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, was, that was a lengthy period, I think, of, of writing and a lot of different things that happened. But then with Suburban Dream, I wrote Two Kids in a Radio, I had a baby, I, I, I put Two Kids in a Radio out and I barely had time to do anything in the way of writing for a really long time because I was on the road, um, I was playing a lot, I was being a mum, I was doing all the things. And writing was the furthest thing from my head at that time. Um, I just didn't really feel like I was in that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after the birth of my third child, um, I, we took some time off. Uh, to just, you know, really to connect with the baby and, and to be a mum and um, and that was all really, really wonderful and beautiful. But I did get pretty antsy pretty quick, um, quicker than I thought I would. So we, we jumped back on the road and then we were trying to manage three kids, a new baby and um, intense touring. And so I ended up getting really, really unwell. My mental health ended up um, failing and um, I got postnatal depression quite late in the piece my my daughter was my third daughter was nine months Mm -hmm. when I started realizing that that's what was going on um and it was pretty intense because I have suffered with depression before but this was like all-encompassing depression um I could really do anything except lay in bed um Mm -hmm. and so in that time the thing that kind of helped me recover from that was discovering writing again Mm -hmm. um so my husband had actually said to me, you know, maybe I know you don't feel like you can do much and it's fine that you can't play shows and, you know, we're here to support you, but maybe you should use this time to write down your feelings and write some songs. Maybe this is the time that you need to do that. So um, I did, I started writing and all of the songs that I wrote for this record happened within about a month, mm-hmm. um, apart from one or two that I wrote right at the end, but the bulk of, of the album happened um in that time so it was all like a really intensive period of writing and I didn't do any co-writing apart from with my husband yeah all all just me and very um cathartic so it's good that you say that you don't feel like it's too dense because sometimes I worry it's not at all I think partly because your motivation as a songwriter is also as a storyteller that's been clear in your songs in the past this is not a new movement for you I think you are a clear communicator uh, and that that carries through to whether you're on stage because I've seen you performing live and you really connect with the audience. So I often think that clear communication in lyrics stems from that primary motivation to want to connect. And if you're doing it in performance, then you're usually going to do it in writing as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think 
for me in that time when I was suffering with with mental health, I didn't feel I could communicate that very well in speaking, um, not even with a psychologist or, or with my friends or with my husband. So I think that putting it into music was the only way that I was going to heal because I needed to communicate it mm. and this the way that I knew how to communicate best. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that you couldn't even really say it to a psychologist because I know someone who'd been through a, a great personal trauma who just said, look, talk therapy's crap, <laughs> basically. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work for everyone. There's a lot of pressure to do it and it doesn't necessarily work. I mean, I'm interested uh, in how for you art and creativity actually brought you out of what you've described as a rock bottom place. There's a quote you gave about the album where you said that the depression did take you to a rock bottom place and then you brought yourself out of it. And clearly art has been the way to do that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I'd tried talk therapy before and, you know, I, I kept wondering why it wouldn't work, like why it wasn't working for me. Like why can't I get better? Like this is what you're meant to do. You're meant to go and see a psychologist. You're meant to talk to someone professional. Um, And it just all felt so cookie cutter to me, like so generic the way that they were dealing with it. And I should re- I should have realised that I'm not a cookie-cutter human and, you know, I communicate differently maybe from other humans. And um, so, yeah, I did. I needed to write I needed to write these songs. So this, it really is quite, it feels quite like a journal to me of, of the things that were going on in my head and my life at the time. Mm-hmm. And the title of the album uh, is also the title of the song on the album, and it's certainly when it's the song, it's an ironic title because you're you're talking about the suburban dream. Although I do think there's a dreamlike quality to these songs in the sense that you, as the artist, are with us but not, and you're vividly coloured but slightly hazy. If that makes sense, and I'm wondering if you, when you were writing, because you said a lot of these songs came in quite a quick came at quite a quick pace, whether you felt like you were observing yourself doing it to an extent yeah I did feel like that I I I, I definitely did feel like that and and I think it's funny because the dream element to it it feels that way to me too because when I was in that state um as in when I was deep in in the in the depression um I definitely didn't feel like myself right Um, and so I think I did feel like that was a time that I was like living a completely different, it, like I was observing what was going on in my life rather than participating with what was going on in my life. And maybe being in that state and being more of an observer and less of an intense participator, because I'm an intense participator of life normally, um, maybe that made it easier for me to write about my experiences. Like, mm. I was watching rather than doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> but also because I was, because, you know, in, in listening to music and trying to articulate it for other people as I as I do, uh, I was thinking, what is what is happening here? It's like I've got, I can I feel like Melody's right in front of me and she's super bright, brightly coloured and these stories are really vivid, but also it's not not you holding a sort of distance. It was just that sense of a bit of haze. And so that was that was what I thought it meant, that you had been able to stand back and observe, which is not easy to do either to see yourself objectively and see your own story objectively uh, because you you have to resist getting too bogged down in your own feelings in a lot of ways yeah. yes 100 percent. but I think that's maybe what makes it what what made writing this album a healing process for me rather than just a catharsis of like blah, 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 this is all the things that I'm feeling I wasn't wallowing in it I was trying to get better 
So I had to step back and observe what was going on from more of an objective point of view than just sit in my emotional state, which is what I had been doing, sitting in my emotional state. Right, right. You are um, an unflinching documentarian, I think, of your own life experiences, but also of life in general and that's been clear on the on the past couple of albums too um but I'm wondering if that takes a constant commitment to be brave uh, in your art and about yourself because you're you don't flinch or at least it seems that you don't flinch from the realities of life it definitely takes work for me to be this brave with this record particularly mm-hmm. um I didn't really feel like the last record was all that um brave or or confrontational or not confrontational but I didn't really feel like the last record really took that extra step in in um in bravery Mm -hmm. I really just maybe because I'm generally quite an open honest person and with my views quite strong I didn't feel like that record did it but this record definitely consistently every day that I think about this record it scares me Um, it scares me how honest this record is for my own ego. It scares me how honest this record is for the some of the subjects that I've taught. Some of the subjects that I've broached in this in this record are scary. And and yeah, it, I actually just got off a phone call <laughs> before we did this interview about a particular song on the record and a particular word in a song on the record. Um, and the person I was speaking to was questioning whether that was a smart decision for me to be putting it on the record. So I'm constantly, constantly right. question, being questioned. Well, there were no words that leapt out to me that, that seemed out oh. of place. <laughs> yeah, no, not out of place. Everything's in context. That's the thing. And I think I keep reminding myself that, you know, it is about a, a particular a narration of a particular time and in life and also a particular place all of the things and so it's not you know it's not always going to be pretty and I don't want to I don't want to make music that everybody thinks is pretty and perfect and everybody loves because it wouldn't be honest well except I'd actually say that music that's not pretty and perfect can be music that everyone loves because it's relatable and because the specifics of your experience can be universal um, in that way and partly what's so interesting about this album is that you document in some parts of it disappointment, which is actually not something that gets covered a lot, maybe because it's not seen as too riveting a subject, but and it's not as if you directly say, oh, I've found aspects of life disappointing. It's basically you showing us, not telling us. But that's something that we all experience every day and and have to manage in all sorts of ways when people let us down, when circumstances let us down, when we've had expectations, which is usually the cause of disappointment. So I was listening to it thinking, yeah, I can feel this. I can, I can, well, I can hear you documenting disappointment, but I don't feel that you're disappointed now. So when you were recording it, again, that sense of distance from it, you're like, I was disappointed then, but I'm making this art out of that and I feel good about this art. Wow, that is so interesting because a few people have actually said that now, that it feels hopeful, this record. Mm-hmm. And whereas for me, I found that quite confusing when people have said that I I was going, oh, but it feels really dark to me, this record. And they're like, no, it's not dark. 
it's not a dark record. And, I, and I'm like, oh, but it's a sad record. And they're like, not really a sad record either, like a hopeful record. Like, so it's interesting. Now you're the third person to say that very thing about it. Um, and it does make me look at, dif- look at it differently. I think because when I wrote it, it was that period of time for me, anytime mm. the songs or sing the songs, I feel put back there, or at least I'm observing myself maybe in that space. Right. And so it feels a little more dark to me, but it's, I guess it's good that it didn't come out that way. Yeah. I think it's a pragmatic record in a lot of ways. So therefore not dark, not necessarily light all the time either, but realistic about being human. Now the latest single is Jesus year. And uh, there's a line in that, are you surprised that I'm still here? And I'm wondering if you're surprised that you're still here. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, and that line is quite multifaceted. I think when I wrote it, it was more literal um, because I wrote this song a little later in the process. It was probably one of the last songs. It was one of the last songs I wrote and it was definitely when I'd come out the other side of the the time that I was going through. Um, and when I was in that space and time, I remember having this realisation I was putting washing in the washing machine and things were all going on upstairs around me and I was so frustrated and I and feeling so like I didn't know, I was hopeless, I was completely hopeless at the time. And I had this thought in my head that I understand how people could feel like their families would be better off without them and I'd never, ever been able to understand before and I'd been really sort of closed-minded with the, with the suicide idea and I'd always thought oh how selfish how how could somebody possibly ever do that to their family mm-hmm. but in that moment I realized how you can get to a place where you really truly feel inside that people would be better off without you right uh, and and that's where that line initially had stemmed from um that I was really surprised that I did make it through that period of time mm-hmm. um yeah but it can also be read as uh, is someone surprised that you're still here creating music. It's not easy yeah. creating music even. Like just to look yeah. at it, if we just look uh, at the post-pandemic reality of music, but also being a woman in music and uh, getting on the road and, you know, there's that reading of it too, I think. And that reading is not wrong either. Like, well, I mean, no reading of any lyric is wrong, but that lyric is also relevant, I think, like, when you write things, I find when I write things, I feel like they mean one thing. And then, like, later on I'll listen again and go, actually, I think I meant that. Or actually I also mean this, this and this. And so I love it when people say, well, I got this from it because I'm like, yeah, yeah, that is something that I mean too because I'm so manic in my head is so, like, I, I have ADHD so I'm definitely, like, all over the place. And it, and even when I write, sometimes it's just this crazy process that I actually have to step back later and go, what is this about? What is that about? So maybe I'm drawing wrong conclusions sometimes or, or, you know, maybe there's lots of conclusions to be drawn. Or maybe it's your subconscious giving different context to everything. That's why there are multiple readings. Um, And part of um, you talking about your process in writing songs, I'm also interested in the push and pull of of you as an artist having the fa- having a family and the structure that's needed for that. And then also, as you often talk about, a, a wilder part of yourself, and I don't mean wild as in dancing on tabletop snaker, but that's perfectly fine too. It's more that mm-hmm. like the wild nature, I think, that is in everyone, but which is often sublimated in a, in a suburban dream context. But do you find that push and pull is actually a tension that's good for art? 
yes, it's definitely a tension that's good for art. If we if we look at this record, um, I think that you know th th this is what the entire record is kind of based around that tension. Um, but it's a constant struggle. I would be remiss to sit here and say, um, you know, that it's an easy road to walk to be the kind of wild, free-spirited human that just wants to sit in the forest and write songs um, and then to have three kids that live a very structured life. Like my kids aren't home aren't on the road with us all the time. My kids, we don't live in the bush. We live in in Logan in suburbia and my kids go to a, 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 a Lutheran school. Like it's all really structured, the life that's around me. The structure around me um, and around my kids is intentionally quite rigorous at this point because if we didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to, like sometimes you need structure around you to be able to have space to be that wild creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's only something that I've learned how to do from trial and error and, you know, and after the third child, I finally feel kind of finding a balance sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but it is difficult and it is also difficult to discover, I think, that structure is necessary for creativity because there's a lot of mythology around creativity that encourages you to think that you're just going to, you know, let the muse arrive and and we just sit around till the muse turns up. And, of course, the muse is never going to turn up unless you put the structure in place for that. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, we we often think of that, this mysterious muse thing or whatever, you know, this inspiration that we're trying to catch and that we have to have the space and time to be creative or we won't write the songs. And actually I find the opposite. Mm -hmm. I find if I do that, I'm just not productive if I sit around trying to be creative all the time. If I'm forced into structured times for creativity and I have tools to access the muse or the inspiration, I find that that works much better for me, even as a naturally wild person. I remember reading years ago an interview with Madonna where she talked about how she scheduled creative time to write and the and the interviewer was like, what, what do you mean? Like how can that? And to her it was completely natural. I'm thinking, well, yeah, because she's Madonna and she's, she has a lot to get done in the day, but it works. Like she got out these hit songs and, and that was a perfectly good method. But even at that time there was a lot of incredulity that anyone could do that. Yeah, and it still is. And I think it, it I often... So I just finished working actually at the Academy, the Country Music oh. Academy, yeah, which was amazing. It was my first time mentoring there. And I think that was a conversation that I had the most was, was that, like how do you manage or how do we manage? So they were asking me how they manage working a nine-to-five and being a creative and, you know, not missing the time to be creative because how could they be in their nine-to-five job and then... Mm they get an idea for a song and they have to, you know, go and work the checkout or whatever. And I said, but that's, you have to be able to schedule time to be creative. It's like, it. I think it, it comes with experience and time though that you realise that you're, you're better in those moments than you are when you're just, yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's an interesting concept and it probably doesn't work for everyone. You know what, there's probably people who do live in, in the bush and forest and creative 24 hours a day and good for them. It, that's great too. <laughs> yes. They might, mightn't have too many other things on their to-do list is part of it. No, <laughs> right. Now the last track on the album is titled again, ironically, Great Australian Dream. I'm wondering what your great Australian dream is. Oh. 
Um, well, contrary to the fact that we've just been talking about all the structure in my life, um, Michael and I actually have a dream at the moment to get a little bit of a um, get a little bit of land and have a nice little place out somewhere with a bit of land and a lovely school for our kids and be able to continue doing the music that we do. That's mm -hmm. our, our personal dream. Um, that I hope you know. I don't feel like that's too far away for us. I feel like we're getting closer and closer to it all the time. So that's kind of nice. Presumably studio space on that piece of land since of is also a producer, yes. <laughs> now, and speaking of production and making music, you posted on, on social media two audio clips of the outskirts. One was the demo and one was the finished product. Um, and there are technical processes that go on to translate one to the other, but I think there's also a bit of magic and instinct um, that, that goes into that. So I'm wondering three albums in, do you trust your instincts more now than you ever have? Or does, does becoming a, a performing artist or working artist take you away from them? Mm, that's so interesting. I feel like that's another one of those like kind of constant battles between um, technique, like trusting your instincts and wanting to be technically better and greater and more mm. advanced. But for me, making records and production and being in the studio is all about the instincts and trusting the people that you're with mm -hmm. and trusting that you're making your music. I think the biggest mistake that we make in the studio is rocking into a studio with 100 reference tracks and going, I want this song to sound like this and I want this song to sound like that because then you're not making, you're not trusting the instinct and trusting the magic of what's going to happen if you just let the song be the song. Yeah. Um, and, it, and I think that I only learned that after two kids in a radio and working with Nielsen Hubbard. Mm -hmm. Michael and I had definitely a different approach to making records before we made that record. Um, so then doing that with Nielsen kind of shaped our idea of being more trusting and more instinctual. Right. And going into this record, it was just this full-fledged, everyone in the studio trusted that, we were going to sit in the room and, and magic was going to happen. And it did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree. Uh, but I'm also wondering since so many of these songs were just solo rights by you, whether you felt differently about the interpretation of them than you might have if you had co-writers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did. I did. Um, I definitely felt more protective of these songs than I had felt about any other songs I've ever written. Um, in fact, my original plan for this record was just to write it with my, just to record it with Michael and I, right. um, because I felt the songs were so personal. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anyone else like touching them, <laughs> like I didn't want anyone else putting any of their artistry on them. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to just be Michael and I. Um, but I changed my mind after I had a conversation with Nielsen, who worked on two kids, and. Um, he responded to the songs so with such heart. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like he really got them. And I realised that there was no way that they were going to come in and, you know, hammer my song. It was going to still be this beautiful, tender process. But, yeah, I was in the studio. I definitely spoke up more about what I wanted than I ever have before for, for, for lots of reasons, but mostly, yeah, because the songs are very personal. Yeah. And now do your children like your music or are they like wiggles only? Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they do like it. 
actually. Yeah, they do. My son would like to pretend that he doesn't because um, he's too cool for school and, Mm. you know, he loves like grunge and like weird alternative shoegaze and things like that. But um, he just said to me this morning, actually, we're watching a clip, watching the clip for Jesus here, which is coming out soon. And he said to me, oh, mum, I just can't wait for this record to come out. I just can't wait for people to hear it. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. So maybe he's been secretly listening all this time. Well, words, he knows all the words and he sings along. And my my daughter always, like, we, we do this thing in the car where everyone gets a song. So when it's, you know, we take turns to choose what we do. And she quite often asks for my songs. So I guess she likes them. Well, they do have great hooks in them, melodic hooks in them as well, which I know kids respond to. So there you go. Great. Now, um, I did want to ask if you're aware that on Australia All Over on Sunday mornings, Ian Mac and McDonald plays Last Cigarette pretty much every week. Every week? I wasn't I aware think of that. so. Because I don't listen to it the whole that show the whole way through, but pretty much every time I dip in for an hour or so, that song gets played. I'm like, I think he's playing this every week. That is pretty amazing and and really special to me because I remember growing up having the CDs that he that he would release and it might have been, they were compilations and it must have been every year or whatever he would release a compilation and we used to listen to them on road trips um and absolutely love them so that is pretty special I knew that he played it but I was I didn't know that he was that he was oh, and, and every time he plays it he's like I just love this song just, just love this song. so there you go that's so lovely I love that so Ian, Ian Macker may want to talk to you about your new album. Who knows? <laughs> so let's hook him in. He, he can have a chat. Exactly. Now, uh, one last question because um, you have things to do in your day is with three kids and you took them on the road before, um, it's a lot of logistics if you're planning to tour this album. Are you at any stage thinking of doing some shows? Yeah. We actually had planned with two kids and a radio to do a full band tour, but then obviously COVID. Yeah. Um, and so we rejigged our plans around that, but that's what we are doing with this record. So we have a new band on board and like I've finally sort of got my own band rather than just using session players, um, which I, I mean, I love session players, but I wanted to have a band that felt like we were a team making music together all the time. So I've bought a new band on board and we are hitting the road and that too is going to really soon. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure the songs will be as great live as I've recorded, but everyone should listen to the album because it is wonderful. Melody, congratulations and thanks for talking to me. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.